2: The year is 1993, and Jamaica's got a bobsled team, which means we have a podcast about it. The movie, Cool Runnings.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson.
2: And I'm Paul Shear, and this is the show where we are trying to find the 100 best films of all time. It doesn't matter who made them. When they came out, we are going to find them, and we're going to put them up for judgment here. So far, Amy and I have gone through the AFI list. We have found 40 that we believe are worthy enough to be shot into space to represent all of film, but right now we are on a quest to find the other 60. We're in this uh, specific genre that I'm kind of loving, Amy, which is true sports films, right? This is not just sports films. It's ones that are based in in a real-life scenario. And I feel like, you know, in this quarantine, and we're getting out at this point now, it seems like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. These movies have really been lifting me up.
0: Aw,
1: you seem lifted. You're, you're all glowing. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, do you do you find that, or, or like, you know, we've been watching some nice films recently. Even with the sadness of Brian's song, I kind of still left, you know, with a, with a
1: little pep in my step. Yeah, I feel like this is a very kind of narrow strip of film that in a way opens up into a whole world. You know, these films, they're commonalities in that they all stir the heart. They're all yeah. emotional and they do it in ways that take drastically different turns. I was thinking about it almost in Goldilocks terms. You know, we're we're in our third movie of this. And so far we've had one film where the underdog team wins, one film where the underdog team dies, and now we're having one team where the underdog film loses. And so at least it's a a little bit different than like, these all have to end in the same way. You know, how can we be inspired by stuff that takes such drastically different terms? And so the effect that these films have on audiences and how they get there, I think is really interesting.
2: No, I absolutely, and uh, I can't, you know, I can't say enough how much I've really been appreciating a good cry. I mean, would you, did you cry at this film? Did you have any tears, any emotion?
1: I will say that I wrote down in all, all caps, OMG, why am I emotional? How emotional is this making me? What's happening?
2: That, I had the same <laughs> feeling. I'm like, and, and you think, oh, it's goofy, it's silly. In these movies, I don't know if it's the music or whatever, It. They know how to just get right into your heart. Uh, films like this, underdog films, and like commercials for diamond rings, or uh, or back in the day, uh, phone services. They oh, just phone they, services. Oh, they could get you. They get you real good. Um,
1: remember when you could talk to somebody for twenty minutes for ninety nine cents, and you were like, "That's the greatest."
2: I remember. I remember like just uh, being like a big spender and saying, "You can call me collect. I'll take." I'll take wow. the brunt. I'll take the brunt of this church. I mean, the my 90
1: now- year old grandma got off the phone with me yesterday by saying she didn't want to run up my phone bill and she can't hear very well. And so I just didn't think it was worth explaining. And also maybe she was just trying to get rid of me.
2: No, my grandma says that to me all the time. And I think she is trying to get rid of me or, <laughs> you know, I mean, but she also is the person who always asks me, what time is it there? What time is like, I've been here for such a long time. Like, that's a very easy thing to figure out. I'm not like. Pop! Oh, I'm in London today. Oh, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in Tehran. I'm in, you know, I'm in Texas. Like, no, I'm in California. It's three hours before you. So she'll always call me around five in the morning here because it's like eight in the morning for her. And I'm like, she's like, oh, what time is it there? Well, we know, we know we've established it. Anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) that's why I want to get my grandma's all grandmas across the country into texting. I am doing a, a very big initiative. I have a GoFundMe. I'm doing it with Sean King. It's totally on the up and up. No, uh, I oh man, this.
1: I thought I was texting my grandma once, and it turned out I was texting one of my aunts. They, I I had no idea. It gets really suspicious.
2: I like it. Some intrigue. Maybe you would have found out that your that your uh, your aunt doesn't like you, or your grand. That <gasps> you could have found out so much. You could get info about the will. Oh, I love it i love all this <laughs> intrigue
1: everybody just wants my grandmother's recipe for conga bars and she won't share that's all that's the <laughs>
2: still interest. still oh you, you gotta know, get that woman you gotta has to secrets
1: but you know what speaking of all things texting and crying which is how we got here yeah let's talk about a movie that i almost think you could write in emoji
2: Ein, and spool it The year is 1993. Bill Clinton is inaugurated as the 42nd President of the United States. Don't ask, don't tell is the official policy in the U.S. Armed Forces, effectively banning openly gay soldiers from serving. Nelson Mandela is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his successful efforts to end apartheid in South Africa. An FBI siege on the Branch Davidians compound in Waco, Texas ends in 80 two casualties, and Buckingham Palace opens its doors to the public. This is a hot year for movies that were on unspooled because it's the year that Groundhog Day comes out, Days and Confused, Schindler's List, um, and a movie soon to be done on the show, I'm sure, Jurassic Park. Uh, also, Philadelphia, which we talked about, and today's film, Cool Runnings. Amy, who's in it? Who made it? What's it about?
1: Cool Runnings! It is directed by John Turtletaub, the man who anybody with a good VHS collection should hold forth as a hero. I mean, this is the guy who directed Three Ninjas, While You Were Sleeping, Phenomenon, both National Treasure Films. And recently he did The Meg. Uh, Cool Runnings went through a lot of evolutions over at Disney, but the version that we're watching is written by Tommy Swordlow, who is the screenwriter of, oh my God, how are the duck, snow dogs, space balls. This is the guy who put the comedy spin on a film that had been kind of serious, which we're going to get into. Uh, Cool Runnings is, of course, the story of the Jamaican bobsled team who made their debut with the 1988 Olympics in Calgary, where, spoiler alert, They were teased for being there, Uh, then they were adored for being there, and then they crashed out of the competition and, yeah, did not win. Uh, Placed 24th out of 26th. Now, the bobsledders themselves in this movie are played by Leon Robinson, Ducky Doug, Raldy Lewis, Malik Yoba, and their coach, of course, is the late, great John Candy. Take a listen.
3: Now look in the mirror and tell me what you see. You see Junior. You see Junior. Well, you want to know what I see? I see pride. I see power. I see a badass mother who don't take no crap of nobody. You really see all that? Yeah, man. But it's not about what I see. It's about what you see. Now look in this mirror and tell me again what you see. Well, I see pride. Pride. Right. Power. power. And I see... A badass mother who, who won't don't take, take no, no crap off of nobody. Again! I see pride. Can I hear you? I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. Once again! I see pride! Junior! I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. That's That's right!
1: An underdog movie about underdogs, Cool Running, seemed like it was always at the thread of being canceled, even as it was being made, and then wound up becoming this low-key surprise hit in 1993. You know, I think, like the team itself, people made fun of the movie, and then they are like, that's not bad, and hey, we should all just chase our dreams. Kind of like the hit song at the top of the Billboard charts on October 1st, 1993, when the movie premiered, an ode to aspiration and fantasy by the one and only Mariah Carey. It's
2: called Ooh, Dream Lover.
0: yeah, Dream Lover.
2: I love it. I love when we get in the 90s. It kind of brings me back to my high school days um, oh, man, you slow
1: danced to this, didn't you?
2: Oh, come on. I did more than that. <gasps> Sometimes I would hold a girl's hand and that music would be playing in the background. And then other times I would get in my car after going to sing a movie by myself and uh, hear that song and cry. I don't know if I ever did that. <laughs> uh, I definitely saw a movie by myself one time. Uh, the movie was Major League Three uh, and was so embarrassed when I bumped into the girl that I had such a crush on, and she was there with her much older boyfriend, and I was alone in the theater, and for a junior in high school, it's very hard to understand why uh, someone would be at the theater by themselves on a Wednesday night, and uh, the level of embarrassment I still feel to this day is, uh, is strong.
1: Wow. Um, you know what? I hope that girl looks back at it now and thinks you were cool and motivated, and you weren't waiting for anybody to like slow you down, keep you from catching Major League Three. Uh, to me,
2: I'm like, I have a car. I can go see a movie whenever I want. That was so exciting to me. Why, why Why? wasn't I taking advantage of this? I did my homework. Now let me go watch the best one in the franchise. Not true. Uh, Amy, this is your first experience with Cool Runnings. I know you said you hadn't seen it. You know, I oddly knew this movie more than I thought I did. I, I definitely know I owned a used copy of it. I bought it from Blockbuster, which is where I worked. We would play it on the big TVs a lot. And I was quoting the film as I was watching it. And I didn't realize like, oh my God, this is like one of those films that just like, I guess I'm a, I'm a big fan of cool runnings. I wouldn't have put it on my list of movies I've seen a bunch of times, but this goes in a category of uh mall rats, which for whatever reason, when I had HBO and I was in college or out of college, uh, it was just on all the time. And I just wound up, it, it was my godfather, like, oh, mall rats is on them. Yes, I'm going to watch it. And I went from really hating Mallrats to, like, finding all the beauty in Mallrats. So uh, Cool Runnings and Mallrats, these two films that have done so much to my brain, uh, and I don't know why.
1: Wow. I have to say, I'm kind of jealous of your intimate history with movies. I don't have that many movies I've watched that many times. And so that you have this, like posse of movies that you know intimately like you like your high school class of movies that you've hung out with a lot
2: amy i I don't know what i I
1: missed out on or how i missed out on it but i don't have that
2: okay first of all i've talked about this before in other shows but i would record films on a cassette tape and i would listen to them instead of music so um (laughs) oh oh yeah i could i could if i sat next to you i could pretty much do Beverly Hills Cop, line for line, running scared, line for line. Um, probably Beverly Hills Cop Two. You know, obviously Star Wars and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, there's a bunch of odd ones. I mean, at one point, I think I saw Goodwill Hunting like 25 times. It's the movies that I've seen a lot. I actually made a list on my letterbox of movies I've seen a ridiculous number of times. It's it's a it's a bizarre list. It doesn't necessarily even represent my favorite films. It's just movies that like became comfort food but goodwill hunting was on like that was a movie that i had on dvd and whatever moment i was going through i was like pop it it back in pop it back in pop it back in
1: i mean this tracks with my secret theory about you which is that you have somehow figured a time loophole where you're allowed to do every day twice because you accomplish so much in one day i don't understand it like i'm very proud when i water my plants
2: oh well i mean look we're talking about this is like me this is me fresh-faced and like 21 years old or 22 years old i'm 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 a, a young in here. I got no one had anything that they wanted me to do. I had plenty of free time on my hands.
1: <laughs> well, having never seen Cool Runnings, I kind of wish you had made a bet with me to write down what I thought the plot was of Cool Runnings before I hit play on this. Because I'm pretty sure just from all of the Cool Runningsness in the ether, the fact that after this movie even came out, there's like a million restaurants called Cool Runnings. Guy Fieri went to Houston and ate at a restaurant called Cool Runnings. Oh, wow. Um, I think I could have predicted pretty much the entire plot of this movie. I don't think I would have remembered that the villains were East Germans and not, like, just <laughs> Germans. But other than that, I think I could have gotten the cool runningsness of it, which is a testament, I suppose, to the framework of a sports film where these are the beats you hit to make it work. It also, but, we know but they lost. Did,
2: it's a, well, but I was going to say, did you believe that they might win? Never. Okay, because it's interesting when you know the outcome of something. Can it still hold suspense? And I feel like this movie actually does. I, I knew, I obviously, I know they're not winning the gold, but I forgot like, oh, did they get a bronze? Maybe they got the bronze or, you know, I didn't know exactly how they, how they landed. I, and I think I try to do that a lot, like just to try to erase everything. So I would, you know, I knew they weren't going to win, but I didn't know they were going to crash. Um, spoiler. I guess maybe I'll, I'll have a question for you, which is like, is formula bad?
1: I, I don't think Formula is bad when it's done really well. And I do think this leads into one of my like early questions about the movie Cool Runnings and you know, talking about it in the context of movies based on true stories, which is how do you feel about the fact that this movie pretty much lies about saying that they were good and that they were going to do well? You know, talking about, say, even the crash that they do at the last at the in their last race. I thought it would be interesting to kind of compare the movie sportscasters and how they're talking about it with the real sportscasters and oh. how they're talking about it
2: okay i am so down for this i cannot oh, wait
1: man another couple hundred
3: top to start now they get better every time down the track Go,
4: oh,
3: oh, 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 look at the way the sled's coming in and
4: out of the corners very smooth it's like he's been driving the sled for 10 years bad what's looks really possessed him oh what the heck go chance
1: and now here is how the real sportscasters talk about it.
3: Head's not really as neatly as aligned as on the more experienced crews. And he's getting one or two rather untidy high points on these bends. Much harder to drive these four-man sleds. Total weight of half a ton. Oh, and he's get all over the place in the chrysal. Oh, and he's on there! He's over! Oh, dear me!
1: Oh, that's terrible oh that's a bad crash I'm afraid
3: well willing hands are there quickly we'll have to hope
1: that Dudley Stokes, Michael White, Devin Harris, and Nelson Stokes are none the worse for that heart-stopping adventure. So then my question to you, Paul, is like, are you okay with the film pretending that they could possibly have won a, a medal when everybody in real life was like, there's no chance? Or is right, that there's well, no chance of it part of like their underdogness?
2: I do believe it's okay because this movie is completely made up. Uh, everything that I have done as far as research on it has proven to me that this is an idea. This is like a one-line pitch. Like, oh, uh, let's make a movie about the Jamaican bobsled team. And I think they took a bunch of elements, but they definitely Hollywoodized this story. I mean, they didn't raise money to go to the Olympics by like having a kissing booth. They were fully financed by- no, That was by... like
1: Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> what? Yeah,
2: what? <laughs> I, yeah they, they were funded by George uh, Fitch and the Jamaican Tourism Board. They even were gifted- a bobsled by a competing bobsled team. Like they were not hated there. They were actually embraced in open arms. Um, You know, the end crash was not a mechanical error. It was just they didn't know how to control the sled at high speeds. Um, Now, I guess we were talking about this before. Is it true then? I mean, it's true that the Jamaicans went there, but but Hollywood put the underdog story on it.
1: I mean, I would say they were still underdogs. Like, part of why they crashed is just they've never gotten to run a bobsled course that much. That They were completely underdogs in compared to, like, the German teams who have just been doing it forever. But in a way, I almost feel like that opens the door to make a more interesting movie. Like, if the Jamaican bobsled team, having almost no practice, can show up at the Olympics, and not embarrass themselves that much in front of the German teams who have been doing this since they were kids, does that mean that it doesn't take that much talent to be good at it? Is it kind of a diss to the German teams? Like, we just showed up and we're pretty good. Like, could you spin the movie in that way? Like, bobsledding's a bullshit sport.
2: I don't want to upset any of our bobsledders in the audience or any uh, bobsledding fan aficionados, but I believe the way that I saw bobsledding happen in this film is you don't have to do much besides steer and turn. And they didn't do anything that was successful. They just didn't manage to steer and turn correctly, and they crashed.
1: I guess I'm saying, like, I would like to see the movie where the German people are just are legitimately angry and embarrassed that they're making their sport look like you don't need that much practice to be good. But I guess my question is, they're not good. That's true. I mean, they are still 24th. But wait, yeah, the margin of seconds. It doesn't seem but, like that big. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I'd also say, but does that count if a team had a worse crash?
1: Yeah, we really should have looked up what happened to the other two teams that like did worse than them. Where are they from? How did they feel? Like, How do you feel coming in that that bad to the Jamaican bobsledding team who's barely ever gotten to play? What's their story? That said, the team did come back in uh, 1992 and beat America. Like, so maybe we should make that movie. Like the sequel to Cool Runnings is America being mad that they beat us.
2: Wait. Well, what about the what happened in 2014, when the Jamaican bobsled team qualified for the two-man bobsled at the 2014 Winter Olympics in uh, Sochi, and they described themselves as "cool runnings," the second generation. In light of the team's qualification for the 2014 Olympics, Dudley Stokes, one of the original of 1988 team members, and now the general secretary of the Jamaican Bobsled Federation, said. I don't think that the support for the team, like we've seen over the last three days, would have been sustainable without the ongoing appeal of the movie. So what I'm suggesting is a movie about Jamaican bobsledding based on the success of a movie based on Jamaican bobsledding.
1: Wait, I just looked this up, and even though I read that they placed 24th out of twenty six, it looks like they actually did just place 26th
2: okay all right
1: <laughs> so sorry but i wonder uh, how portugal and bulgaria feels because they are just right above them
0: you like to watch new stuff right well go to hulu and see what's new because hulu has new stuff all the time Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu.
2: I think that what this movie does really well is takes the premise of fish out of water, because that's what it is, too. It's not just like bad news bears. It is bad news bears, but it is fish out of water as well. And by the way, why aren't we doing bad news bears? Um, Oh, because not a true story. Uh, So I think what this movie does really well is just tell a compelling story. And maybe the based on is all you need, right? Because real life doesn't have to be as engaging as, As a film is, a film has to hit certain beats and and tell these stories. And I think that this movie does something surprising in the sense that it has like some extra weight, not unlike uh, the extra weight in uh, John Candy's uh, bobsled when he uh, was found out to be cheating, Um, where they do get to tackle things like race and and the family relationships. And they basically get to hit a lot of bigger themes that they may not have been able to do if it was much more of the drama like you described.
1: Now, I actually want to kind of drill into the like the question of this film talking about race. Because does it talk about race ever? Or does it just talk about Jamaica as a catch-all for never actually engaging with race? Well, I think it talks about
2: race because when John Candy makes that very impassioned speech, very much like the stand-and-deliver speech that we saw, he's... Speaking to something that you just spoke about, where you said, oh, well, wouldn't you be upset if you're East German and you're like, oh, these Jamaicans came in here and they're doing it as well as us. And part of that speech. And again, it's a Disney movie and it's the most at that point, the uh, highest grossing live action film ever released by Disney. Um, So they're not going to go that far. But I think what they do really well. Is say you don't want to be embarrassed. And you don't want to be embarrassed by these black men. Like, I think that that's what, that's what that scene is. Like, they are protecting themselves. Like, they bring down the level, like, the idea of even being from Jamaica. Like, they are laughed at, like when John Candy goes to register. Not that they are... It, it's sort of like, oh, no, no, you don't compete in this world. It is a very much of a, a country club mentality. I, and I feel like that's what they kind of... Address. Or do you not agree with that?
3: If it's revenge you want, take it. Go ahead. Disqualify me. Banish me. Do whatever you want, but do it to me. It was me who let you down, Kurt. It wasn't my guys. They've done everything you've asked of them. And they did it with all of you laughing in their face. Hell, it doesn't matter if they come in 1st or 50th. Those guys have earned the right to represent their country. They've earned the right... To march into that stadium and wave their nation's flag. That's the single greatest honor an athlete could ever have. That's what the Olympics are about. 16 years ago, I forgot that. Don't you go and do the same.
1: It's tricky, right? I think this is one of those things where they're kind of having it both ways. Like, As an adult watching this, I think it's easy to see it with that kind of depth. And right. it is interesting how much they talk about embarrassment in this movie, that embarrassment is like this motivating factor, you know, that even like the head of Jamaica is embarrassed that their team might go there and lose.
3: The Olympics, that's all. How in God's name are you going to get to the Olympics? These boys have never even seen a sled race before. Mr. Coolidge, I have been looking at sledders since I was 12 years old. If I say these kids can make it to the Olympics, they can make it to the Olympics. OK, well, I'll tell you what we would do. Practice down here with the boys a bit more and when you're a little further along, I'll come along and see you. No, no, no. No, just a minute, Mr. Blitzer. This country enjoys a fine athletic tradition. And if you think I'm going to give you the little money we have so that you can parade us around in front of the world like a freak show, you've got another thing coming. It's bad enough how you embarrassed your own country. I'm certainly not going to allow you to embarrass ours.
1: This fear of shame, being a motivator, that's an interesting premise for a sports film. Because to me, that's actually been my motivator that's kept me out of sports. Like, <laughs> know, my boy Kuzma a couple weeks ago, like, had an air ball at a free throw. Was oh, like, my oh. God. One but then he came the back and dunked a ball. So you're like, okay, like, the, the recovery of the embarrassment. But here, the embarrassment is like this put forth idea of keeping you out of it. But then I also feel like this movie, because maybe it's designed for little kids, doesn't really get into race. It's just like they're Jamaican and they're different and not like there's, I think there's the visual language of seeing them stand out against everybody else. But I don't think, I don't know if the movie engages with race really.
2: Well, I think it engages with race in the sense of they look different and they are felt as less than right. And I think race in a world context is very different than race in the context of the United States um so I think it is more of a probably appropriate line uh, to follow because I you know I from everything that i've read, it seems like our country uh you know the u k India we have these like kind of caste systems or you know where people are very much judged by race and uh Isabel Wilkerson writes uh, wrote a beautiful book about it. it really one of the best books I've read in the last year um but And on a world stage, it may not be that apparent, but I do think it's, they are different and we don't like them because they're different. And we assume that because they're different and they are not from what we, you know, the history of this thing, they will not do well at this sport. And that is, that is racism or that's stereotyping. That's judging someone purely on their appearance that you don't think they're going to be good. So you're right. It's not like it doesn't really get into it because, you know, the, the, It's a little bit thorny, but I think it's at least addressed. And I was, like, surprised to see it addressed in that
1: way. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going back and forth on. Like, And I want to talk it out with you is, like, is it a a cop-out that they don't talk about race head-on? Or is it perhaps more sophisticated that this is how racism works? People don't come up to you and say, I'm a racist. But they give you that country club stare. You know, the idea that they walk into olympic village and it's almost like it reminded me of our our school movies everybody stares at them you know and just watching them in their bright colorful snow suits that nobody else seems to be wearing even though they also bought them in calgary at 90 percent off um maybe that's why they're not in fashion anymore like against the stark white snow like the subtle ways i think the film is trying to say race without ever saying race right actually yeah kind of as we're talking about it i'm thinking about you know there's this documentary that just came out um Operation Varsity Blues on the college entrance scam, you know, and ha- like all the privileged parents making sure their kids get into like U- USC. Yeah. And that is one of the the subtle ways they talk about racism and privilege showing up is that these kids were going out for colleges with quote unquote, like upper-class white sports, like sports like water polo and rowing that have tended to be closed off, you know, and tended to be country club sports. So they have this country club metaphor as a lens through which racism exists without ever saying it is that, or privilege exists without ever calling it out. Well, and I think, you know,
2: let me tip my hat to John Turtletop here because he does a great job of showing the gaze. I don't know, you know, what that gaze is, but you feel as if you are in their shoes and you feel how they feel when people are looking at them, that they don't belong. And that to me is subtly adding these ideas about being different, being unaccepted um, and talking about racism in a movie that is made by Disney, that is PG. You're only going to get to a certain level of it because it's still got to be like, let's put them on the ice and have them fall down. But I feel like the movie does a really great job of not minimizing these characters. They're not just buffoons. And, 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 you know, cause I, I think there is a version of the movie where the movie is only falling on the ice. Only I'm cold. Um but every one of these characters like I mean I feel for the stories that we're seeing and they pay off really beautifully whether it's the father and the son or the the desperation of losing that race his chance at the Olympics and then you you know and then you have these like, overtly comical scenes where they're chasing John Candy around a bathroom. So it's like I give that balance actually some props um, because this movie could have been goofy as hell. I mean, and it is still goofy. I mean, there's sound effects galore. There's weird, you know, it, it, you know, weird music cues, but it's not like, uh, I felt like it's done with an even keeled hand. Like I feel like everyone's in on the joke instead of somebody being the butt of the joke. And that that to me felt really cool for this time to have a film like this
1: yeah i mean when you hear about like this struggle to shape this movie with disney it sounds fascinating like john turtletub told a story where basically jeffrey katzenberg um Almost wanted to fire him because he was like, yeah. listen, you have to make these Jamaican accents sound like Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. He was it's like, that's the wild. kind of accent I want. It has to sound like the crab from The Little Mermaid. I can't have anything more Jamaican than that. They have to be really like clear and intelligible. And the fight for the accents, just on this simple level, seems to have been like a real rallying cry. Like they, the, the actors themselves are always caught between like, I don't think we're doing a proper Jamaican accent. I don't think we're really serving Jamaica well in the way that we're doing these voices. And yet, like Disney basically wanted no accent at all. You know, they're like, we have to sell this to the Midwest. And so like, how far can you even push playing the people that you're playing, playing people from Jamaica, honestly?
2: Well, I think it seems like everyone was really conscious of it. And that's something that is important. And you had a director who stood up for it. And I'm going to also say you had an actor who, the, the journeyman actor, the star of this movie, in the sense of uh, star power, is John Candy, right? I imagine on some level this movie gets made because if we can put a John Candy in it to introduce you to this group of people that you may or may not know, but at this point probably don't know. Um, they're not household names. I mean, they, they wanted household names. I mean, they wanted it to be Denzel Washington and Eddie Murphy. And um,
1: <laughs> Did you hear they auditioned Tupac? Uh, but Tupac said he wouldn't take out his nose ring so they wouldn't let him do it.
2: Amazing. You know Jeffrey Wright auditioned for this. Eric LaSalle auditioned for this. Cuba Gooding Jr. auditioned for this. I mean, Eddie Murphy and Denzel Washington which we said they turned it down.
1: I mean, it was written it was written with Wesley Snipes in mind because it was written to be like a dramatic film. It was right. written to be like a true life version of what it's like growing up in Kingston and feeling like you have to get out of here. Like Back then it was going to be called, and I hope I'm not pronouncing this too crazy, Blue Maga. It's Blue M-A-G-A, which Mm -hmm. is um, Jamaican slang for being in like a time of great distress and starvation. It was going to be a dark film. So they were looking at dark actors too. And then I think they even, they did send it to Dougie Doug, the dark version of the script. And he was like, this is boring. (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, everything that
2: we're talking about here, it worked, right? It worked for the Midwest. It worked for the Jamaican Tourism Board, and it worked for these athletes who competed in 2014. Like, so whatever they did was right. Like, the, the, the jury's back. Uh, the jury's not out on this one. They're back, and they have decided that this actually did work. And there might be things that, and again, I'm not an expert in understanding all of Jamaica culture, um, but I feel like they did a good enough and aware enough job that it was fully Fully embraced. And back to the John Candy of it all, I want to talk about him because John Candy holds a special place in my heart. I love him uh, so, so, so much. And there are some very interesting John Candy performances. Um, But more importantly, I feel like he's a guy who's so focused on being a good person or a protector like he saw this movie and he was the champion the reason why this movie kept on moving forward at a certain point was because john candy was the only one who believed in what they had he fought to get this movie made he was like i want to do this you don't know what you're sitting on and he was right i mean yeah disney
1: kept saying they want to make it direct to video and he was like as a canadian this movie is going to kill
2: i think there's a level of what you bring to the role right um If you want to be doing something and you care about it, you will deliver a performance like John Candy, which is incredibly understated in this film. Uh, And he does that in his career a few different times. It's a different John Candy. And all these actors who come in, they're not the biggest stars, but at the time, and they are wanting to be there. And they're really working and they're conscious of it. And you have a director who's like, I'm protective of the material. So you take something that this, this could have so been clamshell, VHS tape, Right on the blockbuster shelf, I would have had to pick it up twice a week and dust it. Um, but it wasn't because of the quality behind it, like, made it rise. It, it, it did make it rise.
1: Well, let's talk about the candiness of it all. Because I mm-hmm. have to say, this being the first time I saw this movie, when he came out, I just, I gasped. Really? Like, loving John Candy and realizing how bad he looks in this movie. Like, that you didn't you know think that he, he was... he so- bad? I think he looks terrible. I think he like he's six months away from his death when this movie comes out. And oh my gosh! Knowing he dies when I saw this movie for the first time, now it feels like it's on him, and it was breaking my heart. Like he looks exhausted. He looked compared to the John Candy we saw in Home Alone. Like those three right. years look like ten years on him, fifteen years. Like he just seems to be slower. It's supposed to be a funny scene where they pop out like from a toilet when they're trying to convince him to be in um, to be their coach. And he like leaps back like they gave him a heart attack. And I found myself just cringing like it broke my heart.
2: You know, as a John Candy fan, uh, I remember feeling this way when I saw Only the Lonely, uh, which is this kind of weird movie. Like I remember going and being like upset that it wasn't like a funny John Candy movie. And I think John Candy was a darker guy than I understood him to be, and I should probably read a book about him. But um, yeah,
1: is there a good book about him? I don't know of one, but I'd love to see like where the John Candy would have gone. I mean, to 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 die that early, like well, I, I, where could he have gone when he, if he had lived his forties, fifties? Where would he? I, what would he have wanted to do?
2: I think he was a guy who wrestled with demons in the sense that. Um, you know, he was supposed to be in Ghostbusters. He was supposed to be the Rick Moranis part in Ghostbusters. And, you know, he had very weird ideas. And look, some of this stuff becomes legend. And it's like, well, what does that even mean? But, you know, he was going to be, um, he was going to be Lewis Tully. And his whole argument was, he wanted to play it German. And he wanted to have big, scary dogs. Um, and you know, and the whole team was like, no, that doesn't really work. Like we need, like, no, we need to be different. And I think he was somebody who was just into doing weird stuff, making specific choices, exploring stuff where I, in a a weird way, I feel like John Candy would be succeeding in comedy better in this time where I think comedians are allowed to go to different spots where back then, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties you had to be like whoa, whoa you know bowling ball drops on your head you know uncle buck style and they love uncle buck but um
1: but it was like big and it was a lot of just like punchlines about him being big and and big and and just even goofy. the comedy in this film it's like slapstick humor it's silent film like the scene oh, in the I movie mean, where they get into the bar fight i was like this is just like keystone cops kind of comedy direction
2: yeah and i'm i'm not saying that like him wanting to be an east german or a German with big dogs and Ghostbusters is, like, a small choice. But I feel like he he just wanted to do interesting stuff. And I think he wanted to play. And, I, you know, one of the movies I, I hate the most is a film called Nothing But Trouble. And the only reason why I really love Nothing But Trouble is because clearly everybody in that film is, like, getting to crank out their own weird shit. And so there's something really interesting about, like, just seeing some of, like, the best people... Uh, really like Dan Aykroyd just being like, this is my weirdest shit I've ever done. No one's telling me no. And they should have. But it is, an, it was <laughs> like as an experiment, I do like it. And John Candy's great in that as well.
1: No, I'm really I, bereft that we never got to see the Cohen brothers work with John Candy.
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a lot more there. He's big. And I guess what I was kind of even coming back to is like, this is the John Candy. It's like the JFK, Only the Lonely Delirious is kind of old school candy at this point, I guess, uh, but like where candy starts making like a string of like okay, they're a little bit weird. I mean, by the way, did I tell you this? I had a birthday party where I rented out a movie theater, I didn't rent a movie theater I just uh I bought a bunch of tickets for all my friends to go see who's afraid of Harry Crum or who's Harry Crum? I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember that John candy movie um. And it was—I was so excited to bring everybody there, but the movie was not good. Uh, and uh, but but maybe uh, this is w-
1: that thing where oh, what oh now I understand that we're the villains. Like, you, I was thinking about this with Eddie Murphy recently. That Eddie Murphy comes through as like an adult, like actor and comic, and then he gets taken by kids. And because I was a little bit old enough to watch him be swallowed up by the kid market, I was just old enough to say that's not me. Right. I was mad at the kids who turned Eddie Murphy into a kid star, but I just realized I'm the kid who fucked with John Candy. Like John Candy made a couple kid movies and I was like, right. he's my favorite movie star. And then I think he got stuck in kid in kid roles and maybe was trying to get himself out of it.
2: Yeah. Or, or he, you know, I think a lot of the times bigger actors are forced and especially in this time to do things that are degrading. Uh, You know, yeah. not degrading or you fall into a trap of that. Like, I mean, John Candy on SCTV is the, one of the best. Uh, I don't know. I mean, no. there, there's, I mean there's a lot. mean, every time Melissa
1: McCarthy gets hit by a car, I want to punch somebody. I get so fucking furious.
2: Oh, I mean, but, you know, but is she bringing that on herself? Because Melissa McCarthy is somebody who has a lot of power and rights and, I you know. know. It's, it's in her I films know.
1: with her husband where she gets the most yeah. hit by cars and I don't understand. I don't I, understand.
2: I, we should open it up and do a little bit more of a John Candy discussion. I'd love to break it down a little bit more and... uh. You know i I just feel like what I like about this performance is that John Candy gets rid of all of that it's he's not doing a big broad performance. He's doing a really grounded performance. There are some very funny moments in it uh but it's a straight man role, and I think he does a great job of it like even that's his, true it
1: is the straight man role,
2: yeah, even his scene where we talked about where we played it, where he went in front of the commission he it's not over the top. It's just like you buy the fact that this man, after we, you know, when we learned that he's lost his gold medals, has just kind of been on this downward spiral. Um, and, yeah, you know, when and, he and, gives and, that yeah. speech
1: about winning, it almost feels like you could pop that out and put it in the dramatic version of it, of this movie. You know, that, that speech about how winning isn't everything.
3: You see, Drees, i would made winning my whole life. And when you make winning your whole life, you have to keep on winning, no matter what. You understand that? No, I don't understand, Coach. You had two gold medals. You had it all. Doris, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it.
4: A hey, coach, how will I know if I'm enough?
3: When you cross that finish line,
2: you'll know. I love that speech, and I feel like that speech is about sportsmanship, right? Or it's like, play the game to play the game. Don't play the game to win. Because if you play the game to win, you're always going to be empty. You're always going to lose. And that's a message that doesn't always get pushed out in in sports films you know it's not all about when the statistically half of you are not going to win right like like we know that and then and then you know for every nba star that is like you know, their jerseys sell and they are popular there are what 10 you know if every te- if every team has two star players you know, you have like 12 that are never going to get there, you know, potentially, or, you know, or they'll be, they are elite and they are amazing, but they won't, ne- there will never be like, you're not going to be on the, uh, you know, the cover of NBA 2k, uh, 27, you know, I don't know They're, So it's, it is a, it's, it's a lesson about like how to be an athlete.
1: Well, then it let can't me just ask you it. this yeah. though. Cause you're right. Like sports are winning and losing but why is it that in two of the three movies we've seen so far in cool runnings and hoosiers they took a coach who was like an okay guy and made him disreputable made him have this shameful past that he's trying to come overcome like
2: oh well that's easy like
1: i mean yes yes it is for like the dramatic arc but there's a little bit of me that's like as a, as a person in an industry that I think it's very maligned in films, you know, as a person in, like, journalism, where female journalists are always sleeping with their subjects, which drives me absolutely bonkers mm-hmm. and insane. I was thinking, like, do coaches ever get mad that on film coaches are always, like, drunks and assholes with serious problems?
2: And this is the trick. I mean, this is the tricky thing. It's like we know that that was made up for Hoosiers. And I guess we're starting to feel like we know that this movie is made up here, too. Um you yeah, know I mean, the I mean, real I
1: Fitch who, like, coach this team, he was just really into the idea of, like, these guys being athletes. Like, right. he wanted to show—he still wanted to show it. He wasn't reluctant. He didn't have anything to, like, prove. He wasn't, like, disgraced. I mean, here he is just talking about how he wants to promote athletics. And he, this is a guy who wound up becoming, like, mayor of Virginia in another career turn. This guy had a lot of career turns.
4: Jamaica's gone to the Olympics, yeah. and based on their recent training— They've learned the sport very, very fast because what we're trying to do is we want to show the world that Jamaica indeed has the best athletes. It takes a good athlete to learn a sport very quickly, especially a sport you never heard of before. And that's what we're going to do in the Olympics.
2: I mean, I guess we're kind of we're wrestling with this idea that the premise is more interesting than the actual story. Because a lot of the times we don't... We're not on these epic journeys. Sometimes we just... Things fall on our lap and and we do it. But, you know, movies have to create this other element. And, and should we feel badly if they are... Like, look, I love Major League. If you told me Major League was based on the true story of the Cleveland Indians, I would probably love it more and it would probably be held in higher regard. Right? Because it's like, whoa, they actually did do that. Um, but they are essentially just... <laughs> It's like, it's like a a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like we're going to get all the things that you're going to get in a fictional film, but we say it's based on a true thing and you're going to buy in a little bit more. And that was the whole thing that we were saying, like, it's okay to cry. Then it's okay to cry. Then it's okay to be like, well, I actually, this is believable. Or There's this element of the true story that I think we're telling ourselves. Like if we just tell them it's a true story, they're going to be more committed to it. But we know as filmmakers and we know as writers, we can't give them the true story because it's not going to be as interesting. I mean, I when you heard like, what was it the guy, um, the guy, the the whole reason this movie or the reason why they're just making bobsled team <laughs> kind of came together is so crazy. Like this guy Dudley Tal Stokes, uh, who was on the team, was on Reddit and he's like, "Ask me anything," and um, and you know, his story is is kind of wild. It it it's like he was like, uh, I mean, he goes, "I got into bobsledding because I was told to. I was in the army at the time. The colonel made the suggestion to me. I was a captain." Do as you're told and obey orders. There are two Americans, George Finch and uh, William Mahoney. They were big into push cart racing, and they thought it translated well into bobsledding. You mix that with the Jamaican athleticism, and, you know, they thought it could work with some of our track athletes. And they couldn't get anyone to do the sport, so they went to the Army and my colonel, and that's how I became involved in it. Then once I was there, I was hooked. I mean, but is that like... Is that a good story? I mean, is that, I mean, (laughs) I
1: mean, it's (laughs) It's, kind of funny. It's kind of interesting being told, like, you will do a bobs, you will be a bobsledder now. Like, this is who you are. Like, you're, and, and he kind of touches on it in there, like the Jamaican athleticism that at this point, like per capita, Jamaica had won more medals in the Summer Olympics than anybody else. Like, they actually were a real force in the Olympics. So I wanted to kind of add that to the context of like embarrassment. Like, we're great at the Olympics. Don't water down our amazing record of winning at the Olympics.
2: Right. But maybe, but the reason why it seems like they were, they were, it seems like, I guess what I'm saying is, now the idea behind this movie isn't about a track star who's desperate to prove himself. It is about Jamaica going, fuck, we are already winning. We need to now put ourselves in the Winter Olympics because we can get some medals there too. How hard? All right. Um, push cart racing, bob yeah. cart, yeah, bob cart, uh, you know, like, uh, bobsled. And Bobcat Goldthwait like, saying, e- "Yeah, Bobcat!" <laughs> ah, uh, <laughs> and, and so uh, <laughs> he just screams the entire time down the uh, the, the icy. Sea.
1: But I mean, like that is know, definitely it, an eighties movie.
2: I mean, it's it, oh my gosh, not uh, Hot the trot. Oh came my out god, after that. what if
1: it was Cool Running, but they have to be on Bobcat Goldthwait's stomach?
2: Get this poster, Kim <laughs> Troxell. Get this poster. Um, but I, you know, I guess, I guess my thought is, is like. The behind it is, oh, yeah, it was actually pretty manipulative. But the true story, uh, the true story is like, oh, Jamaica, it seems like on a level, Jamaica was like, we want to get more medals. I mean, the true story
1: was also manipulative. Like, they they put a guy named Freddie on the original bobsled team because he was a reggae singer. And they're like, Mm -hmm. that will just make people really crack up. And then, That's like, they'll say they hilarious. have a reggae singer on their team and it will get us more press. And then, like, Freddie disappeared, I think, towards the end of, like, racing when they were in Calgary. And yeah. so they had this thought, like, you know, they actually showed up to to Calgary only to race two-man bobsledding teams. Yeah. And then they were doing okay. And they thought, what if we try the four-man bobsledding team? Like, let's go, let's be a four-man bobsled. That's where they had to get another sled when they were there. And they didn't have enough bo- people. To like ride the bobsled because Freddie was basically like MIA. So like one of the dudes just called his brother and his brother just showed up and was like a couple of days before the Olympics. I guess I'm on your team. And they had to like make the Olympics say it was okay to like have a completely late registered Olympian on their bobsled team.
2: Wild. I mean, like, so I it's guess a weird
1: story. It's weird even in reality.
2: We're saying all this stuff, right? Where it's like, well, the movie didn't do this, it didn't do that. You, you, you listen to uh, the writer of the film, right? He was also, by the way, if you want to find out information about Cool Runnings, go on Reddit. I mean, everyone's just breaking it down on Reddit uh, because I think people belo- love this movie. And I got to say, we're talking about all this stuff. I still love this movie. I love, like, I mean, we're I'm not. We're talking about the reality versus the fantasy, but it doesn't make a difference because I was brought in. But um, this movie was, you know, essentially written by this uh, this guy, Tommy Swardlow. Um, And Tommy's like, oh, I was on heroin when I was, I was strung out on heroin writing this
1: movie. You know, so like, this is like, who knows what's okay that's this. It. I just want to see the movie about the making of Cool Runnings. That's what I'm really into now. <laughs> that, I want to okay. see that movie. I want to see like a Jeffrey Katzenberg, like yes. probably played by Stanley Tucci, like coming in and way, yelling at is, people. I want to see that movie. And- I love this movie,
2: too. Like, I think that maybe that is the more interesting movie, the making of this movie. But I love this story and I love the characters here.
1: I mean, I still have so many questions, though. Like, one of them is, what does it mean if you're like, I'm going to make a movie based on a true story that had just happened? It was still pretty recent. Everybody knew about it. But then to do shifts where, like, the real guys were named, like, Michael and Sammy and then they decided to name the characters Yul Brenner and Senka Coffee. Like, what is happening there?
2: Yeah, I don't know, and I didn't know how to touch it. So, I mean, that they these are not the names of the men that were on the team.
1: Yeah, but like to to go to the level of absurdity, like, are they cartoon characters? Like it that. That I was confused by because I having never seen this before. I was like, "Was there really a guy named Yul Brenner?" No wonder they made a movie about this. This team is fascinating. Yeah, no, he's just a guy named Yul Brenner. Too Uh, much. I I like his character a lot. Like, I really like the uh, Malik Yoba. I mean, he doesn't get to speak very much, but he has to me. I think that moving scene where, well, two moving scenes um, between like himself and um, Junior Bevel, uh, Raleigh De Lewis. There's that scene. By the way.
2: Raleigh D. Lewis was a reader at the auditions. He wasn't even supposed to be an actor in the movie. Did you know that? Yeah.
1: (laughs) But there's that scene where he's saying that all he wants to do is get out of Jamaica and live in this mansion. And he holds up a picture of a mansion and it's Buckingham Palace. And I will say that this scene has more resonance after even like the Meghan Markle-ness of the last month and talking about what life is like in Buckingham Palace. But that, you know, the Junior Bevel character sticks up for him and gives that speech about aspiration.
4: You can start calling yourself Madonna, but you're still gonna end up in an outhouse shanty like every other doc working nobody. Says who? Says me, rich boy. What you know about it? Well, I know my father started off in a one-room hut. Now he lives in one of the biggest homes in Kingston. Well, he ain't your father. He doesn't have to be. All he has to do is know what he wants and work hard for it.
3: And if he wants it bad enough, he'll get it. Look.
4: Believe me, Sanka, the more Yule Brenners we got making it in this world, the better off this world would be, especially for Jamaicans.
1: I found that really moving. And it got me thinking, like in the context of Brian's song, do sports films really succeed? Because they do all drill down in this story about friendship. It is so much about friendship. I mean, even even when Dougie Doug is like, I'll be on your team, but you have to say that I'm your friend.
4: Then you got to do it. No! Hey, man, you could be famous.
3: You could have your picture on a Wheaties box. But you
4: said no, and that's all right, because I don't need you. Everybody is gonna want to be on my bobsled team. Look, Star, let me tell you a little something, all right? When you need something from me, you don't have to hand me a bunch of lines. All you have to do is look at me in the eye and say, "Sanka." You are my best friend. We've been through a whole heap together, and I really, really need you. Sankey, you're right. And you are my best friend. We've been through a whole lot together. Heap, heap. Sorry, man. Whole heap together. And I really, really need you. And I really, really need you. Forget it.
2: So, Amy, I'm saying this because, look, I'm sure other people have said it, but I think the reason why we like sports films And why they make us break and they inspire us and they move us is because there's no subtext. It's just text. It's like, (laughs) I believe in you. I believe in you. I love you. We're going to do it. Winning isn't everything. Teamwork is everything. It is. It breaks down all those complex things into very easy, black and white, emotional, like, anyone can get it. Anyone can feel inspired. And I think there's something kind of wonderful in that. And maybe going back to that idea of like, that's why this is so formulaic. It's like, we're going to hit all these beats. We know we can hit all these beats, but by eliminating that, even like a story like Charles Dickens wrote with the Christmas Carol, it's like, you are bad. Here are these reasons. Like there's, it's very, like, I don't know if it's a bad thing to just serve up a direct line to your audience. Uh, it, It maybe takes away some more of the complex thoughts and allows you to kind of be the character said that-
1: i wonder i mean yeah it feels like the most subtle things about it are actually in the language like I, there's that kind of back-to-back where john candy is sticking up for his guys and he suddenly does it in a jamaican accent and there's that way of like i'm sticking up for boy my boys i'm speaking like yeah. them and it cuts straight from there to um leon robinson starting off his team by counting in german and so they're using language in this film, I think, as this way of like who are you identifying with? Who are you trying to be? Whose shoes are you understanding? Like the idea that speaking German means being artificial and not being true to themselves. I like the subtle ways that. they make that point. By the way, I didn't realize that Leon Robinson is the guy from uh the like a prayer video.
2: Oh yeah. Isn't that crazy?
1: No clue. No clue. That blew my mind. That blew my mind. That film that is that isn't that is that is art.
2: Well, while we're talking about music, too, we have to just mention that uh, Malik Yoba uh, wrote the theme song, uh, the Jamaican bobsledding chant song. Uh, and he was really clever about this, too, wanted this part. So he wrote this song uh, before his audition. And then in the audition, kind of played it off like he was improvising the song. And they're like, we got to use that in the movie. Again, just pulling it all in. And it actually landed him a record deal.
1: Whoa. But he didn't uh, write the song that's been in my head all day, right? He did not write this one.
2: No, he didn't write that one.
1: Okay. He wrote the chant. When that was in my head when I was in the shower today, I was very furious that we were doing this film. You know, I get... Can we do just like a playlist of all the bad 80s theme song, 80s, 90s theme songs?
2: By the way, let's do let's do an episode of that. Like talk about just the music of the 90s movies. <laughs> no one still that idea. We'll do that as a special miniseries. Um, another place that music played a part in this film, and I thought this was actually very cool, was that John Candy picked music for each of his fellow cast members. Um, I've been in a few films where like the director will give me like a playlist to listen to before we start shooting the film. It like helps. You know, kind of getting the headspace and stuff. Um, but he invited all of his co-stars to dinner and played a song for each member of the bobsled team that he felt best represented their characters.
1: By the way, one last thing about music, Paul. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing that Cool Runnings has in common with two thousand one A Space Odyssey?
2: whoa, uh, oh, geez. Um, is it the fact that Kier Dulle? Is in both. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be amazing if he was one of the judges German- I, I know, I, don't, I was like, is he one of the judges? <laughs> I don't understand how they had like Peter Outerbitch, who played Joseph Grohl, the East German. Yeah. I don't know how they made his eyes so freaky, right? They're just like tiny little oh, black yeah, dots in the know, center yeah pale, By the pale, way, pale. I don't I no. mean, not not to make
2: a I mean uh, whatever, East Germany, but they really make them fucking vil- like I mean like all they are, are Olympic athletes. It's I mean I guess you need a villain, but it was like I I yeah. felt bad about it later on. I was like, "Why do I feel so bad about these guys?"
1: I felt bad when they were like, "We'll see you again in four years," and I was like, "Your country is not going to exist, bro." No. Uh, well, they will, but, but they will as human they, beings. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but no, the answer is both *Cool Runnings* and *2001: A Space Odyssey* use this beautiful song, "The Blue Danube."
2: All right, so Amy, before we kind of wrap up here, um, I'm going to ask something that I don't want you to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did they walk their sled to the finish line?
1: Oh, like a funeral march?
2: Yeah.
0: No. Ah!
1: No. No, I'm Motherfucker! sorry. What? No. I am sorry that you got robbed no! of I guess the other essential element of a sports film. The slow clap. Oh. Uh, uh. There was actual clapping though, and I actually did want to pull this clip of the real crash. There's gonna be a touch of silence in here, but that silence you hear is them with their heads scraping against the side of the wall. And I just watching the real thing and Ooh. realizing how long their heads were getting hurt for, it was really painful. And it made me respect the athletes like even more that they like were able to get up and survive that. So here it was what the real crash sounded like and the clap at the end. There was a real slow clap. I mean, you gotta have it.
2: I'll say i appreciated what they did in this movie like brian's song using real footage mixed with uh film footage because you can't duplicate that it there's something about that that is i mean it is jaw-dropping it's wow it
1: really is when you see his head pressed against the wall like that it's just this unnatural yeah. angle it, it looks it looks fatal i mean somebody asked the actual uh, Bob letters recently like, what do you think about the ending of the movie and how much it differs from yours? What do you like? But I like the movie version better. I think there was a serious mechanical feeling.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Just That's me. first. That, that documentary that Disney made, yeah. Yes, yeah, that yeah, documentary. got we'll, uh, it, Just right.
2: Excellent work. I'm thinking about it. In many ways, this is propaganda for Jamaica. And
1: I don't mind it. Why not? <laughs> no. But, I mean, even Jamaica has a restaurant called Cool Runnings in their airport. But here's what I really want to ask you. Going back to like the question we had at the very beginning, like, I think the power of this movie is that they were complete underdogs. They didn't have like the uh, ability to train. They didn't have the ability to like practice and get used to this. They had to go in really cold. And yet they did it anyway, which is why I'm really curious about this question of the movie allowing us to think they might win. Because to me, the point of the movie is that you tried your best and you really cared and you chased after something. I don't need to feel that they could have won in order to love their story. In fact, I think it's kind of more beautiful to feel like they're never going to win. And if this, if it was like, we're not going to win, but we just want to do this cool thing and show that we can, that we're allowed to be here. I think there's yeah. an ability in that. And I think that's why I'm kind of cranky that the movie pretends that they had a shot.
2: I I hear what you're saying. I think that it's just human nature that we want that we want we want everyone to be wearing. I mean, I remember hearing about this. I'm never, I've never been an Olympic watcher. I I know people will be like, "What you got?" I don't care. Yeah. I mean, dressage never, is great.
1: Archery is great.
2: I mean, again, I don't care. Uh, but I will say that I you don't uh, like dressage?
1: Oh, don't care. if I watch, okay, don't I'll buy you care. a cheeseburger if you watch some dressage when we all right. get to okay.
2: I, all right, I will. I will. I will do it for you. Right. But I will say this. Um the way I remember the Jamaican bobsled team was, it was a joke, but it also was like people were rooting for them. And so I think what the film does is capture that um, idea of how the public got behind them. And so, yes, it's, com- it's compartmentalized with those announcers, but I do believe that that was a true thing. Like I remember like wanting the Jamaican bobsled team to do well uh, because it was so outlandish. Um, I mean, that was at least my memory of it. And I could be wrong, uh, that that's the way it was perceived, but I always felt like there was goodwill in the Olympic world or the Olympic watching world. Like we got to tune in for the Jamaicans and maybe part of it was like to see them mess up or, or maybe part of it was just like, this is so wild. It makes the Olympics maybe a little bit more interesting. It makes it more, you know, relatable. Like I could be in the Olympics. I mean that, that to be in the Olympics and the, the way that these guys got there, there is something like, oh my god, they just got into the Olympics, and you know they—they they aren't all athlete athletes. They are, you know, they're a real mix. Well, I guess one of them, yeah. I mean, it's a tricky, it's a it's a tricky movie because again, like, what's real, what's not, and uh, yeah, I don't want to. I'm talking about the film. Yeah, it's
1: a mix <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see a psychological study of the human need to root for underdogs. I really want to understand it. Because I will say that is my one bit of guilt being a Lakers fan is that we're just awesome. And granted, I fell deeper in love with them when we were very much underdogs. But there are times when I watch the Lakers and I watch how great we are. And then I watch us do something right. uh, maybe a little bit dickish. And I turn to my boyfriend and I ask if we're the baddies.
2: Uh, yeah, I, you know, always, uh, you know, it was sort of.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, maybe I should stick up for rooting for the overdog. It's hard to root for the overdog
2: well, you know, me and my love of Pat Beverly, right? Like, uh, and I think he has one of the best underdog stories in the NBA. Um, and a lot of the times he's viewed as, oh, he's the most, you know, uh, you know, reckless player in the NBA. And he's not like, he's been on the defensive team last year and he's plays really, he's been playing better defense, but like, uh, he's like when they say like, oh, he's a player that you want on your team, but not you don't want to face them. And there's this idea too of like, you know, we villainize the people who come in and, and hurt. Like I was, I, my son has been obsessed with Bill Lambeer and, you know, Bill Lambeer is like one of the most dirty players in NBA. And, and because he's been obsessed with Bill Lambeer, and I don't know why, because I guess at one point I told him that Bill Lambeer is the dirtiest player. And then he watched Michael Jordan say he was the dirtiest player. So he's like, what is he doing? I got into Bill Lambeer and I'm like, Oh, Bill Lambeer was like very good at basketball. Like if you look at his numbers, like, yes, he's the enforcer and he played dirty and he had these shots, but he was a good, like, he wasn't just a bad basketball player. He was a good basketball player, then went on to like coach the WNBA and then get like these championships in the WNBA. Like he and, and won championships there and, and, and was in the all-star game in the NBA when he was playing. I guess sometimes like the narrative of like the villain is such an interesting thing. And, and I wonder if there's a, a sports film to be told about that, like when we're you know, who's the bad guy, right? Because in many respects, he's the good guy. Like, he is a good guy. But to Michael Jordan, if you're a Michael Jordan fan, he's the bad guy. So, like, you know, our stories are always changing.
1: That's why Rocky Four is my favorite Rocky. Because, like, its idea of good and bad, I think, is completely bewildering. You know, I I just rewatched it recently. And what I find so startling about that movie Is you can watch that movie through Drago's eyes and know that the Americans are the bad guys. He shows up. He really wants to box. They give him like an old guy who does it only for celebrity. He's trying to box and they're just having like James Brown perform and all of these dancers. And this is not athleticism. You know, it is it is showboating. And I like that movie through Drago's eyes. He's working so hard to be the best. He's under all this pressure to be the best. And the Americans don't take it seriously. The, and he accidentally kills one and then he's the bad guy and he gets death threats. That kind of well, sucks for
2: Drago. But, uh, but I mean, but if you want to talk about it from the, the, well, this is a whole other conversation. we can get into. But I, <laughs> but I, but I, but I feel like if you want to look at it from another perspective is like, well, why can't we just have a movie where Drago wants to be the best uh, and is is a scary factor to Rocky? But instead, we made him kill his best friend. Like now he's a murderer. And you're right. Like, OK, well, like. And it, and the movie does make it out like he knows he's doing it. Like, there's an element to it. It's not like an accident. Like, he pushes too hard. We know he can push too hard. And, like, I don't know. They make him into a villain so Rocky can defeat him. And what I like more about the other Rocky films, and I know we've discussed this in great detail before, is that Apollo Creed is not a villain in the first Rocky film. Apollo Creed is a champ. Um, And, yes, and they're doing the same thing for Apollo Creed that they did for, like, he just, it's not showman, it's like, it's sort of a publicity stunt to get him in the ring. And uh, and he takes him to town. And you can leave that movie having respect for both people, right? Because that's what Apollo does. He respects him at the end. Like, mm-hmm. that's the win, is the respect. I don't know, this is a whole different It's a
1: whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. But <laughs> I will say, in this watch, and I'm curious if anybody else agrees with me, it suddenly dawned on me... I think Apollo decides to die when he goes back in the ring. He's like, he's been, no, I'm serious. (laughs) No. He's been talking the whole film about how there's nowhere for an athlete to go. And that it's like, I think the Carl Weathers performance, and that's amazing. Like, he has nowhere to go now that he's been on top and he's just watching younger people lap him. And I don't think he's intending to die when he agrees to fight. But I think when he tells Rocky to not ever stop the fight, no matter what, I think he's saying, I want to die in the ring. I don't want to do this anymore. If I have to go out, I'm going to go out this way. So this conversation has been cool, but I think we can make the chill factor another 30 degrees lower by bringing in the man himself, Doug E. Doug, a.k.a. Sanka Coffee. Ah, E. Doug, welcome to Unspooled. Doug, we are honored to have you here to talk about cool runnings because... I have a gazillion questions to ask you and maybe I'll just start with this one. When you shot this film, did you think you'd still be talking about it in the year of our Lord 2021?
4: <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, and I was proud of it. You know, my father is uh, from, was uh rest his soul from Jamaica. And so I, you know, had some kind of familiarity with the accent and with it, you know, and I felt very proud of uh, the exploits of the, team and, you know, so it was a big thing in the Caribbean as, as a whole. So I thought, oh, this is going to be a nice little heritage thing that I can impress my father.
1: <laughs> Wait, I want to actually ask you about that, about about your father and about knowing the accent so well, because reading about yeah. it, I heard that there was like a little bit of a back and forth about how accenty, how Jamaica they wanted it to be.
4: Yeah, my accent in the movie is not a Jamaican accent at all. <laughs> <laughs> The movie is, uh, I, I call him the Jamaican Jerry Lewis. <laughs> so I just did Jerry Lewis's impression, I did an impression of Jerry Lewis as a Jamaican. So that's what my, because it was the most palatable thing, I think people, and it also had a comic inflection. So, because there was so much controversy about the accents um, behind the scenes, you know, they were like, nobody's going to understand you, and. Uh, the network told us all to sound like uh, Sebastian the Crab from the Little Mermaid movie <laughs> because that was their only like Caribbean reference. And uh, you know, right now we would have them up on charges, but uh, at that time, <laughs> at, that, at that time, we were like, we all laughed hysterically. <laughs> so the, the 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 accents are generic. It's very controversial in terms of certain pe you know people who are you know into a certain kind of authenticity in terms of language, you know, and, and, and a lot of Jamaicans are, were upset about it and still are upset. Like, I mean, it's the most popular film in the Caribbean history, but in Jamaica, they're like, yeah, but, you know, those accents are crappy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but it uh, sounds like the real person, though, is your dad. How did he feel about your accent?
4: Oh, man, he was just thrilled. The, the accent, he didn't comment at all. He was just thrilled that I was... uh Finally, this was the most legitimate project that I could ever do because in his world, everybody was uh, patting him on the back and your son is finally somebody. <laughs> 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 but he still was embarrassed about I mean, oddly enough, enough. People who are, are very familiar with his, you know, Jamaican history, you know, Rastafarians were sort of a subgroup. You know, so people who were part of the sort of I guess you could call them the elite or what have you. Which my father was a part of, you know, part of that colonial heritage of the more proper British sounding Jamaicans. They, they were not big fans of Rastafarians and so forth. Um, so my father would, 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 be, would take the pat on the back, but he'd also say, well, you know, he wears his hair like that for his dog, you know, which it wasn't. It was fat. It, like, it was like my, it's how I, that was my hair, you know. <laughs> so he was embarrassed about the hair. Actually, he didn't care about it.
1: I wonder if you might have preferred the first script, the the one that I mean. I heard you read the first script, the one that's kind of more of a serious yeah. take on this story. Like, what was that script yeah. like?
4: The first script was a drama. It's called Blue Manga, and I mean, you know, it was it had all the feel good elements, but it was like it was like okay, well, this is a little kind of like a small film, and it's it's gonna we have that kind of like human interest story and heartwarming, and and I was like, okay, that's cool, um, but when I when the script came back to me as Cool Runnings, and it was a pure comedy, I went, "Okay, now th- that resonated with me a lot." I was like, "This is this could be very, very interesting." I still didn't think it would be like a hit or anything because, you know, it was a Disney film. It was a very strange kind of film for a Disney film. Um, it was my first Disney film, so I didn't. I was like, really? "This is not this is not Herbie the Love Bug. Hey, what what is this?" <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't like a whole lot of I didn't think there was a lot of belief in it in the studio. Dawn Steele was a producer of it, was a real champion of it. She saw it as a quote unquote Rocky story. So she understood its appeal from the beginning. So she knew, okay, the 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 power of this movie is a rocky story. It's about underdogs, you know. I don't think the studio, they were like, they already did Rocky. (laughs) (laughs) Rocky with black guys. You know, like us to say, there was a lot of ignorance uh, that we had to confront.
1: Were you? Did you find yourself in the position of sort of being like, I'm the person who understands Jamaica. Let me do what I can to make this the best version of this possible?
4: Can I say hell no?
1: <laughs> you can say anything <laughs> you want. <laughs> I, I just
4: didn't want that burden of having to, uh, you know, be that person, particularly during the audition process, but they were very... Tender about you know they were very tender and careful about the casting, and I was like, you know, you guys are behaving. This is one of my early films, so I thought you guys are behaving like you know what you're looking for. I didn't realize that that was how you know, mm-hmm. like everybody acts like they're so confident, but they still don't know. You know.
1: Now I'm curious. So then, when you come into this, I'm guessing like in the original draft, the more serious drama Sundancey draft, your character was not named Senka Coffee. And, no, he, and he become no. like what is, what is the origin story you came up with for that name <laughs> so I didn't come up
4: I didn't come up with the name but um you're right they had you know I think they had you know they had real names and stuff but for whatever reason you know they thought that if the characters had gimmicky names um that I guess it'd be funnier and I just thought wow that of all the things of this script I really like, I, I just think that's ridiculous. You have a guy named Neil Brenner. You have a guy named I'm like, come on, y'all. You know? <laughs> That'll never fly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, come to find out. You know, a guy named Dougie Dougie is criticizing, you know, names, you know. <laughs> but, but, but it's like, I was like, oh, oh, memorable. Like, these are very memorable names. So who cares what their name you know, as long as people remember the name.
1: I just realized that S- Sanka, that's decaffeinated. And I think of your cafe- your character as very caffeinated.
4: Right. Very caffeinated. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's, a, it's a role I could not play now because I do not have the energy for it. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't have the body to get in that suit either. So, you know. But, yeah, it's uh, very caffeinated.
1: Now, did you ever get a chance, like, either at the time or since then, to meet the actual Bob's Letters?
4: Yes, yes, yes. Um, and talk about serious, very, very serious. They're very, very serious. serious. Very serious about about their accomplishment and what they've done, which is understanding they were Olympic athletes, you know. Um, you know, with all the mocking and all of the, uh, you know the the mythology around the the story, and then the movie adding to that mythology. I think that they were really hungry to be, you know, taken seriously as, as being people who did qualify for the Olympics and it's not a small feat to do so. So they were very serious about it. Nice guys, but they're very serious about it. Actually, he also met the coach as well. Oh wow. Yeah. And and I, and I actually went bobsledding with the coach in Utah. You went uh, bobsledding? Yes. 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 To get get
1: tips, to get like pointers of how to really look
4: convincing. No, they they would not allow us to go down the bobsled, even though Leon went down because Leon doesn't follow off But anyway, um, they, they, <laughs> they, they, they you know, they, they were they were you know understand. Now that I produce movies, I understand where they were coming from. They were like, you know, look, it's insurance wise, if something happened, to you you know that's it. Like we wouldn't be able to have a movie, so they would not. They told us don't go down. So during the whole, um, not that I was itching to do it. But later on, I said, "Well, you know, I, I, sh- I should do this at least once in my life to say that I've done it." So I went to Park City, Utah. I was filming another movie, and I and I went and I met the coach, the real coach, and uh, he took me down on a buffet, So I did I did finally experience it. How was it? Oh, it was exhilarating, and it was very well as as described. It's several G's of force pushed up against your face. It's like skydiving, basically. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean that sounds like you really stepping into the role after the movie is done to like meet up with the actual coach who taught these guys how to bobsled and have him walk you through bobsledding. I mean that's like Daniel Day-Lewis method acting except it's the movie it was already done.
4: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's why I have no Oscar, because I do my research after the fact. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You had the honor of working with John Candy in one of his later roles. Like, what was he like? How was he back then? How was he during that time?
4: The only the only words that I usually describe when I when I I say when I describe John is angelic. Basically, I mean he was like an angel on earth as far as I I was concerned. You know, and uh, and I guess if you tell any if you ask anybody, they probably would say the same thing. He's just such a very, I mean, very affectionate, very warm very i mean I, I i actually have never really met anybody who was as big a star as he he was that was so personable and so mm. accommodating and so loving you know and that's a, that's a hard thing to say in show but like he was loving <laughs> you know he spent we spent time with him in his in his uh hotel room and he played songs for us that he thought represented our characters and it was very Sweet. Very sweet man.
1: He picked out songs that he thought fit your characters?
4: Yes. Yes. Yeah. He played, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why you yeah, picked exactly. that one. <laughs> I, I still don't know. I still don't know. I'm like, hey, this, is, this is funky, but I don't know what you're talking about, you yeah. He was also he was also uh, lush, at the, uh, lush at the time, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and he was the one I think on the set who kn- knew that this movie was going to be yeah. special, like bigger yeah. than even Disney thought it was going to be. Disney, the producers, everybody he can, he told
4: me he said, you know, these people do not understand this movie. He says they don't understand how big it's. Because they don't understand you guys at all. And it's, trust me. And I was just like, you He's. You, you need to stop drinking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is kind of a, a silly question. I'm sort of embarrassed to ask it. But you, know, when people think of the stereotypes about Jamaica, like the number one cliche of Jamaica is that everybody is, High all the time, like I feel like that's like yes, the joke everybody puts in the movies, and that's not in this movie at all. It, it no, it, as a matter of fact, as like...
4: a, as a matter of, yeah, as a matter of fact, they tried to put it in this movie. Oh, they did, there, was, yes, they wanted us to build a snowman in a montage and put a splash in it,
1: you know. Uh-huh.
4: And uh, it was actually a very tense moment on the set because the director was insisting, and uh, we actually, you know, we had staged a little protest. and he said we were we were we were mutinous. <laughs> I'm like, this guy really want to see weed in this movie. <laughs> he, he's taking a stance. But I, I think he came to understand, like, okay, maybe I need, I need, maybe I need to calm down.
1: I mean, I'm impressed that you guys banded together like that and took a stand. I mean, because like you, yeah, like you would had your TV show since the early '80s, but a lot of people were sort of new. So to be able to say like.
4: Yeah, they, they, they made me the the, 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 the advocate. <laughs> yeah. no, no. I had a meeting with the director, you know, because they kept calling us jams. You know, like, John was like, let's get John in here, you know? And then it was like, OK, now get the jams, you know? <laughs> and I was, try- I was trying to tell him that, you know, we are actors, we are individuals, uh, we are people. And uh, it would be nice to be referred to as, you know, by our names, uh, you know. So it was a lot of little things like that. And then I was the one who had to sit and explain, you know, why that is inappropriate and why we should perhaps rethink grouping us like that, you know, is uh, maybe not a great thing to
1: do. I think that's a very cool thing that you did. I think that's very cool. I'd like to think that they also took a piece of that to heart in their next projects.
4: Yeah, I hope so. Um, I remember Dawn, who, who, who <laughs> Dawn, God bless her, she was a producer. She was the first female executive uh, of a studio, uh, first one to run a studio, Columbia Pictures. And she was the producer of this movie. And uh, she came in my trailer and was like, I heard you said that this, this production is racist. And I said, "Well, I wouldn't use the word racist. I would say there's a lot of ignorance up in this mother." <laughs> <laughs> and we became really good friends, you know, as a result, uh, because she understood what I was saying. So she was very progressive in that regard. She was very confrontational, but she was also, you know, had to fight all kinds of battles as a woman in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So she she was very sensitive to look. I'm, if there's a grievance, I'm going to confront. You know, you know, and so. She was a fantastic person to have you know in this atmosphere where we were being uh where there had to be some kind of discourse around how to represent- around representation and, and so forth
1: well so then what was it like when John candy's prediction came true and this movie became a big thing? What was that all like for for you and and the gig and even and even the producers that you had come to know and the director
4: at first it was it was Crazy because I just didn't understand that dimension of the business where you have something that is so successful that people all over the world want to talk to you about it, um, and that happened almost immediately. Once the movie started, uh, you know, going into various markets and the, and becoming successful in various markets all over the world, then there were calls for me to go to you know, to travel and go to, to the UK and so forth. And so it was, it was just a a, a new experience and it was very, at first it was fun and then it and crazy and then it was fun and then it was scary. Scary. <laughs> yeah. Because I had never had that level of recognition before. And there was a lot of things that obviously come along with that, have a hit like that. And, um, I, I wasn't, I, I you know, I was, you know, in my early twenties, I was not prepared for all of it, but, uh, but as far as producers were concerned, it, it's not like film projects like this get developed often. And so, you know, although there was a lot of uh, positive feelings about it, um, producers, not like in the pipeline, The producers are like, great, let's do other heartwarming, multidimensional stories with African American leads. <laughs> <laughs> So basically I had producers that were coming to me wanting me to do family shows which I was very happy to do and was fun and I found and that was where I was trying to do in the, in the first place was do family oriented type stuff and so I just kept doing that but it's not like um the industry at large was very um welcoming or uh, about it you know
1: There's such like a a unique gift in being an actor who has made family films that just become these touchstones, you know, to the, the career that you've had to like have these parts of movies that are just beloved by generations. I mean, you're kind of one of the people who teaches kids to love movies.
4: Oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I like to look at look at these films that way. And people who work in this genre, who I had talked to and who had, were nice enough to talk to me during that period, I, did, I remade that on Cat, you know, different things. And Dean Jones, who who did a lot of those movies in the '60s, he came to me and he said, "Look, man, you know maybe these are not the hottest properties in the world uh, as far as the, the the hip crowd is concerned, but he says you you got to keep doing these movies because there's a need for these movies, There's a need for families and children to to you know be introduced, as you say, to to films and be introduced and, and for and be and to watch their films with their children. I mean, uh, I actually." I have apologized to people about some of the movies I made. <laughs> and, they, and they always and I go and they go, Yeah, you know, my kids, my kids love this and they love that and I'm like, I'm so sorry you have to sit and watch that. And they're like, No, they're watching a movie and I'm watching them. <laughs> 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 they're having so much fun. Like I now as a parent I understand that.
1: I do have to ask this. I mean, we're coming up, hopefully, on a full new cycle of Olympics. I mean in the decades since this movie has come out, when bobsledding comes on the TV during Olympics, <laughs> do you feel a little bit of ownership? Are you like the guy who's like whoever's in the room with you? You're like, oh, here's what they have to do on that curve, or here's what to look out for.
4: Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I, think I have no. <laughs> I was kind of like the whole, you know. I don't. I'm not a. I, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Too. I do. Like, I have that same feeling about bobsleigh. It's amazing. Some of the things that I, some of the sports I look at, and when I hear people reference the movie, I'm like, oh, this has, this has obviously had a greater influence on all kinds of people that aspire to break into things in, in ways that they were, you know, they, it's a very, it's a very, it's a holiday movie in, in Ireland. You know, they play it for every Christmas, like it's a wonderful life.
1: What? Um, Yeah, 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 yeah,
4: yeah. And I went to Ireland. and It was wonderful because they were just very, very beloved as a holiday film. Um, But, you know, Ireland is an island, you know, Um, and uh, everybody can relate to the idea of being uh, considered uh, small and as a result insignificant or whatever in the eyes of other people. But you have pride and you you have a sense of uh, your identity and you have a sense of, a belief in your ability to make an impact on the world, and uh, that's that's all kinds of people, you know. So it uh, it it's it's really like a powerful experience to encounter people because you thought that it had a particular kind of niche um, audience and a particular you know you know okay well there's a direct you know relationship to bobsledding but no people are making all kinds of connections and uh, it's awesome <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well Doug, this has been awesome. It's been really awesome talking to you about this movie. It's been awesome getting to say hello. Oh
4: thank you so much I appreciate it appreciate
2: the time Well Amy I mean uh look it's a huge hit. We see the problems of it. we see the formulaic elements of it but I'm also gonna say I love this movie. What did people think about it when it comes out? Were there people who didn't like it?
1: It got mostly like, oh, I can't believe that was decent reviews. You know, kind of like middlingly positive. No raves. I did find a negative review that I thought was worth reading. You know, last week when we did Brian's song, I was frustrated that I couldn't find any black critics who Mm -hmm. reviewed that film. But here is a review by a black critic named Dessen Howe who wrote for the Washington Post. So he writes, they've pulled down the Berlin Wall. The Palestinians and the Israelis are talking peace, but they are still making comedies like Cool Runnings, in which cartoonish natives scratch their heads and try to make sense of the white world. Thanks to its sun-bleached writing by a quartet of hacks, including Michael Ritchie, this movie would have to work double time to really offend anyone, but the ghost of Step and Fetch It is hovering in the tropical ether. It's in those wide-eyed, double-take faces, the fast motion "Allah Gods Must Be Crazy, the way one of the Jamaican bobsledders tries unsuccessfully, of course, to hold his overloaded bladder during a particularly bumpy run. Cool Runnings consists of two running gags. One, how funny it is for Jamaicans to be in a bobsled team. And two, how funny blacks are when they endure cold. The first joke is funny, but in this movie, that joke is never let alone. The second ties in with all of those other quote-unquote jokes, such as Black's wide-eyed fear of ghosts. When Dougie Doug arrives in Canada and sees a blizzard outside, he scurries back into the airport terminal and drapes himself in everything he's got, including the travel bag. His reaction, a comic conceit from another less enlightened age, isn't amusing so much as sad.
2: And look, that goes against everything that we were talking about, too. And, you know, I'm certainly not a person to say, like, oh, well, I don't think it is, or, you know, I don't want to disagree with that. I think there's a lot of ways you can look at this movie and 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 balance it and and... And also knowing like what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, this is like a PG Disney movie that I think some of the broad comedy in it is also broad comedy that you would see from any performer in any Disney PG live action movie, right? Like that, Like it does share that kind of similarity of goofy, goofy, big, broad stuff. You know, I think that there's a version of this movie that we missed out on that was... Purely what that was just described in that review, and I'm glad that we missed out on that movie. I think this movie has some surprising depth and really good performances. Um, could it have been better, even better? Absolutely, and still been very funny. Absolutely, but I also think you have to put on the lens of it being a PG Disney film. It's it's a tricky line to walk, but I do think the film is respectful of these characters. Um, but I also see obviously, where
1: he didn't feel it was. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a a datedness to the style of comedy that does hang over it from the beginning.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So with that, what if I don't think it should go to space?
2: I don't think this movie should go to space, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it's very hard to find the middle ground um, on these films because uh, they make me feel... I really enjoy them, but I don't know if they're the best in, in you know in this list of 100. I don't know if this is the best, but I really loved it. And I, and I felt this way about a lot of the rom-coms, too. So I don't know where we're at with it. I, I, I don't disagree with you. That, there, there it is.
1: All right. You are a terrestrial bound, Cool Runnings. But we have two more films to go in our Underdogs franchise before we even get to the audience pick. And I'm curious, like at this point, three films in, we're batting two for two on slow claps. So I'm curious if we have more mm-hmm. slow claps coming. And we're betting two for two on references to the Gipper.
2: Ooh, yeah. Good call, Amy. And I love <laughs> that they didn't know who the Gipper was. I appreciated that. I actually uh, don't know who the
1: Gipper was. I know it's sort of Reagan-y, but I've never bothered to figure out what the Gipper actually is. I
2: believe and, that Reagan played the Gipper in a movie.
1: And the Gipper dies?
2: we'll figure it out like uh, by the yeah, way yeah. We'll, we'll reveal that we, we could google it now but let's not let's just keep that as our let's keep it as our our easter egg at the end of this series all we'll right. figure out we'll
1: hold it on to it for the gipper
2: alright um, alright next week Amy we have Chariots of Fire a movie I've never seen and uh, never really wanted to see so uh, I'm excited to see if I was totally and completely wrong about it but I know the song uh, song by Vangelis and uh, take a listen to the trailer this is a story of two men who run not to run but to prove something to the world they will sacrifice anything to achieve their goals except their honor received unanimous critical acclaim majestic masterful triumphant and joyful says the los angeles times the new york times calls it rousing and invigorating abc tv says you'll be riveted enthralled and you'll cheer like crazy it's for everyone says newsweek And the New York Daily News promises it will lift your spirits to a new high. All right, Amy, uh, Chariots of Fire available wherever you can get your movies streamed. And uh, that is it. A fun conversation about this movie. Uh, Can't wait to see some more underdogs. And, uh, you know, that will be it. You know, any final thoughts?
1: Final thoughts? That's definitely something I'm saving for The Gipper.
2: All right, great. See you next week, everybody. Bye for now.